And we are in a message series called Honor in the House. Why? Because dishonor is everywhere. And there's one area where dishonor is really prevalent in America today, and that is in authority figures. So part two of this message, you'll see it at the top of the notes. Part two of this message series is honor, how to honor authority. How to honor authority. And we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2 and chapter 3. In just a moment, we will read that together. But um, we want to talk about authority because today more than ever, it seems like authority figures are, are uh, just dishonored. They're just spoken against. And, and I think that whenever you have a society where authority is absolutely disrespected, you have the, the seedlings of chaos in that society. Can I get a good amen? You know, people need to understand that authority is essential for human flourishing and that authority does not necessarily mean the person in authority is more valuable than you. It just means that God has put them in places uh, and positions to operate a certain way for you. And so we're going to talk about that. And uh, then I just want to make sure that you know that today we're not talking about parental authority. And we're not going to be talking about spiritual authority. Next week, we will do the whole weekend um, for parental authority because that's a whole commandment, actually, out of the Big Ten. Honor your father and mother. So today, we're not talking about that. That's next weekend. Honor your father and mother. So next weekend is um, bring a rebellious child to church weekend. <laughs> and then the following weekend after that is spiritual authority. And, and you're not going to want to miss that because you need spiritual authority in your life spiritual authority in your life. Very important topic, especially for Christians. That's two weekends from now. Don't miss any part of the series. And then we're going to close out this series. Uh, very excited. A little surprise to you at the end. We will be talking about honoring marriage. So very excited about this whole series. Don't miss a weekend. And there's two other weekends I haven't brought up, or one other weekend I haven't brought up. And you want to be here all six weekends. Okay. Here's what I want you to write down in your notes. There's no place to fill in the blanks. Just put it on the side and the margins are on the back. God is big on authority. God is big on authority. God is an authority. He is the authority. And you have to understand that throughout the scriptures, God calls his people to honor authority figures. I know that this is going to be counter to how we are raised in many ways. I know it's going to be counter to the cultural context of our country. And we'll talk about this in a few moments. But you have to understand something. And I, I want to get right to a very specific spiritual point, And we'll circle back around this at the very end of the message. But you need to see that this world is broken. There's such a thing as sin that has broken society. It is not just broken society. It has broken creation. Creation was not meant to be like this, where we have tornadoes, hurricanes, earthquakes, Famines, pestilence, plagues, all those things. That's not God's original intention. Everything was very good. Sin entered the world and chaos broke free. And everything that we hate about broken creation, the pain, the suffering, and everything that we hate about the brokenness of human interaction, relational conflict, jealousy, envy, pride, slander, lust, um, all these sins that we commit against each other, Hatred and violence and murder and, and uh, subjugation of certain races or, or genders or, or people groups. All these things that we hate about creation and our experience as humans is rooted in a subversion of God's authority. 
How did we get in this mess? How did this happen? God's authority was challenged. Now, some of you are going to think, I'm talking about Adam and Eve, but I'm not. I'm going to take us back a little bit further than Adam and Eve. Stay, stay with me. Before Genesis 1, before God said, let there be light, God was in heaven, the angels around him, worshiping him, honoring him. He had three main angels. And one of those angels was the lead lead worshiper, if you will, the leader of the angels. He was the most beautiful angel in heaven. He was the worship director of heaven. That's why you always have to keep your eye out for the worship directors. Come on, somebody at church. We have good ones here. We have really, really good ones here. No, no, I'm serious. Really great, submissive, awesome, and I think quite handsome guys leading our worship here at our church. But anyway, um, he was the worship leader. His name was Lucifer. And in Ezekiel chapter 28, it says that he was the most beautiful of all God's creations. And he was right up there at the top. And, and, and he didn't want to settle for his position under God's authority. So he subverts God's authority. And he says this in Isaiah chapter 14. He says, I will ascend to the mountain of God. And here's what he says. I will become like the most high. And Jesus says this in Luke 18. I saw Satan cast out of heaven like lightning. In other words, as soon as he subverted God's authority, it was like over, game over, cast into earth. And so what you have in this earth is a world that is following the dictates of Satan. Because listen, when Satan shows up in the Garden of Eden as the serpent, what does he say to Adam and Eve? Take the fruit, you will not surely die. You will be like isn't that amazing? It's the exact same phrase he used about himself when he was in heaven. I will be like the most high. And his temptation to every human being is be your own God. Be your own authority. Now, here's the problem. We have been falling for his lie that we could do what he did and expect different results. And there's been nothing but bad results ever since. And we have got to awaken to the reality that authority is a gift from God. It is a, it is a tool in the hand of God for your good. And it begins with authority. And obviously, we talked about this last week, honor for God as the ultimate authority. But now we're going to talk about institutional authority in our lives, how to honor authority. I'm telling you, submission to authority will bless your life. So let's take a look at what Peter says. First Peter, writing to Christians in Rome uh, in the first century, Christians who were under a much more challenging environment than we are today. So First Peter chapter 2, stand with me. We will start in verse 13. We will read the word of God together, and then we will talk about what he says here. Verse 13, Peter says, be subject. Somebody say, be subject. Be subject for the Lord's sake. So it's not for their sake, it's for the Lord's sake. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor or as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. For this is the will of God. Now, I love it when the Bible throws out the phrase will of God. 
Because we all like to pray about what's the will of God? What's the will? As if it's like a mystery out there, like secret pathway to wonderful pleasure. Here it is right here. Here it is right here. Here's what the Bible This is the will of God, that by doing good. What's the will of God? Do good. What's the will of God? Do good so that you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a license to evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. And then verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, that one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure? This is gracious in God's sight. For to this you have been called. Okay, so he talks about will of God, and now he talks about here's your calling. You have been called to this because Christ also suffered for you leaving an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued, check this out, he continued entrusting himself to God who judges justly. I submit to authority because I trust the God who is the ultimate authority over all the other authorities in my life, as Jesus did. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Verse 1 of chapter 3. Likewise, wives, and this is every woman's favorite Bible verse right, right here. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some of them do not obey the word, they may be one without a word, by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. By submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. And yes... Ladies and gentlemen, in 2017 America, this is still God's word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I ask that the word of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be pleasing in your sight. Have your way in these moments. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Help us to see Jesus. In his mighty name we pray and everybody said? Amen. Amen. Have a seat. God bless you. How to honor authority in your life. If you're taking notes, write this down. If you're not taking notes, write this down. Point number one. Remember, we have received honor from the ultimate authority. 
Okay, this is why we're going to back up into verse 9 of 1 Peter chapter 2. We didn't read this verse, but this prefaces what we just read from 1 Peter chapter 2. It is hard to honor others when you don't feel honored yourself. When you're always demeaned and looked down on and critiqued and treated like rubbish. Come on, it's hard to honor anybody. This is why you need to read your Bible, Christian. Because the Bible has a lot to say about who you now are in Jesus. Don't worry about who you were. Don't identify with whatever your proclivities are. Don't make your value a judgment or a basis on other people's opinion of you or who you were or what you were like. When you come to Jesus, my Bible tells me if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All the old is gone. Everything's become new. And so Peter says, here's who you are. You are a chosen race. Isn't it good to be chosen? The Greek word for chosen, I looked up the definition. It means that you are preeminently existing. Wow. Christian, that's what you are. You say, well, I, I, I made the decision to come to Jesus. Yeah, but how did you make that decision? Just that'll mess with you a little bit right there. God chose you. Said, I like, I want this one in my family. You understand? That's who you are. You've been honored by God. He says, you're a royal priesthood. You are royalty. I'm looking at a bunch of royals. You can call me Queen Bee. Right? Only for us, it's not a fantasy. It's the truth of what we are in Jesus. The Bible says that when Jesus comes back, we, his people, will rule and reign on the earth with him. He said, I don't like my position in life. Don't worry, just wait. Things are changing pretty soon. Jesus is coming back. You see, you walk around with a dignified sense about who you are. I am a Christian. That's a chosen, that's a chosen call. That's a royal calling. I'm a priest of God. What is a priest? Somebody that is a go-between between God and man. Now, I get this a lot as a pastor. When people find out that I'm a pastor, they tend to do the freak out because he's a man of God thing. Oh, you're a pastor. And then they, I, they do this in New England. They whip out their jewelry and they're like, can you bless this? Can you bless this? Can you bless this? I don't know. I'm not, I don't know what this is. I'll bless you. Do you need some money? I'll bless you. I don't know what your jewelry. I don't know. I don't know what the deal is with your jewelry. Just put that back. But People see me as, oh, you have, this, you have a special in with God. And I do. I have the same special in with God that you have. I don't have to go through an angel. I don't have to go through a dead saint. I don't have to go through another man. I go through Jesus Christ. Right through Jesus, right into the throne room of heaven. That's, that's, that's good news, you understand. You've been honored by God. And then, and, then, and then he's saying to people who feel in that generation, first century Christianity, they feel dishonored by their world. And, and Peter says, no, listen, you've been honored by the one whose opinion really matters. 
So when he says, what does he say then? In light of that, verse 12, he says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles, what? Honorable. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles because you know you're an honored person of God. You can't honor until you know you've been honored. So, and then he says, and then, you know, they're going to talk about you like you're a bunch of evildoers. Okay, Christians, don't freak out when America starts hating on Christianity. They've been doing this for 10,000 years, for 2,000 years. Um, uh, humans have been doing this for 2,000 years. I mean, when Christianity was birthed, they were stoning them, sawing them in two, cutting their heads off, burning them at the stake, crucifying them to the praise of the crowds. This is what Christian history has to tell us. It's not news when Christians are vilified by culture. But we don't listen to what culture says about us. We listen to what God says about us. And, and because of, I, can, I can honor people who dishonor me because I know my Father in heaven has set his seal of approval on me. And then he says what we read. Be subject, verse 13. Be subject. Look up on the screen. Say those next four words. Be subject what? For the Lord's sake. For the Lord's, not for their sake, not for, your, for the Lord's sake. To every... Institution among men. Okay, Peter. <laughs> you obviously have not read the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> like, this is what came to my mind as I read this this week. Like, obviously, Peter is not an American. Because America is the land of rebellion. This is like our cultural mindset, our cultural mantra, 1776, baby. We told King George, get out of our land, right? We, we threw the tea into the Boston Harbor, hallelujah, <laughs> right? This is America. We don't listen to nobody around you, especially in New England. We don't listen to you. We're New Englanders. Right? And it's like, it's almost like American to rebel against it. It's like you, you got to go through the little rite of passage, oh, rebel against mom and dad. You, you know, you have to, when you grow up and you become an adult, a tax paying adult, you have to complain about the government constantly. You know, you have to, you just have to like shed all forms of authority. And so, like in America, the S word is submission. It's almost like a dirty word, you know? And we don't do this as Americans. You just don't do You're Americans. Our motto was don't tread, what? On me. And so Peter, <laughs> uh, I appreciate the sentiment, but we're Americans. No, we're Christians. Before we are Americans, we are Christians. And I think that we become better Americans when we are better Christians. I really do. I think that America gets blessed through Christians. And so we are, we are in this world as American citizens. And, and yes, we live in this country, but we live with a higher authority that calls us to live with respect for our cultural authority figures. 
so, so that things go well for us. So how do I do that? Well, number two in your notes. You do this by remembering authority as sent by God for the common good. So be subject to the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to emperors, to supreme, or to governors, as, and if you have your notes out, underline the next three words, sent by him. Circle them, underline them. They are sent by God. Every governor, every president, every senator, every congressperson is in that office by the divine directive of, my, of Almighty God. You say, that's hard to believe. I'm not telling you that they are Christians. I'm telling you that they are in that place by God's design for such a time as this. And we will never truly respect them until we get this in our hearts. They're sent by God. Even horrible dictators are in position to, to operate according to God's purposes. You say, now that's going too far, Pastor. I, I want to I prove it to you with something that in 2007, if I said this, it would have been thought political, but I think we can all agree today it's not a political statement anymore. It's obvious. When our country in 2003 decided to remove Saddam Hussein, a wicked, vicious dictator, we all agree, from Iraq, what we got in return was far worse. Like, this is not, this is not political anymore. We, we, this is fact now. And so sometimes we have to see, like, that governments that are even evil in themselves are actually in place to restrain worse evil that is under them. You see, because the scriptures make it clear that the heart of man is desperately wicked and sick. The heart of man is completely corrupted and, and human beings need restraint. And sometimes even evil restrainers do the job for God to just keep the peace. You say, I don't believe that. I believe that, be that humans are basically good. That's because you haven't had children. <laughs> I mean, just... You, you ever notice that it's like all the atheists that are writing these angry books about, you no, know, humans are basically good. They're all like single men with no kids. Of course you think <laughs> human beings are free. <laughs> you never have to teach your child to steal other kids' toys. You know, you never have to teach your child to say, no, me, mine. I want to do what I want to do. There's a, there's a brokenness in the human heart that is, as Jeremiah says, beyond repair. Only God can change the human heart. So God uses governments to restrain evil, even in horrible countries that are very dark. I think sometimes the worst thing we can do is to think, let's just kill the dictator and there will be peace. No such thing, no. So we have to realize that government is a tool in the hand of God, sent by God. Let me say something else underneath this point. It's in your notes to fill in the blanks. It's easy to criticize authority when you're not in authority. Oh, I'm preaching now. You see things differently when you are in authority. You just do. Again, it's like the American deal here. We just think, it's, yeah, we know better than them. Well, the president should really do it. Like his advisors have never thought of that. You're the brilliant one. You've got a GED. Go ahead and tell them what to do. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, you ever, I used to listen to sports radio. 
I don't listen to it. I can't stomach it anymore. These guys call up, Bill Belichick doesn't know what he's doing. Doesn't know what he's doing. Are you serious? You live in the basement with your mom and dad. And you're 45 years old. <laughs> or talk, or political talk radio. That's even worse. Like you got to cut that stuff off. Because it breeds, it breeds in you this constant discontent with authority. And, and you got to understand, Christians, Christians now, our government, our president, our governors, our senators, you realize that they have to watch out for the well-being of both Christians and non-Christians? That's very hard. Like, just getting Christians to agree about something is hard. There's like 50,000 denominations. Why? Because we don't agree about anything. And so we got these, uh, we got these governors, we got these authority figures. And, and one time I had a sit down with some, with a, with a, um, a governor, uh, not a governor, but a, um, a leader of my town's government, because I was complaining about something as a Christian. And then as I heard him speak, my heart was changed. I, I said, this guy's got a lot to deal with. And I can't be sitting here expecting him to be, you know, enacting Christian law. He's got to do civil law. And, and I got to let him do civil, because there's a lot of non-Christians in my town that need laws that help them. And if Christians are always the ones going, yep, 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 the world looks at us and says, why do I want to be a part of a, a bunch of complainers? You know, it's easy to criticize authority when you're not in authority. When, when I was a kid, this might be hard for some of you to believe. When I was a kid, I was a bad child sometimes. <laughs> I know you think I walked on water, but I did, I did naughty stuff. And my mother would say something to me. She would say, I can't wait until you grow up and you have a child just, come on, finish it, like you. That's... She said, well, the Lord answered her prayers, and I got two that are just like me. One's like Cheryl. He's the easy one. The other two are like me. But you know what I'm saying? This is, this is the authority. Like, you don't understand it until you're there. When I was a youth pastor under Pastor Geyser, I, I would always be like, well, why are you doing that? Why? I, was a, I was a pain to that guy. I was a pain. I feel bad. And he would tell me, he would say, Tim, when you're a pastor of your own church, You'll see it a different way, and you'll understand. And can I tell you, he was 100% right. It's easy to criticize authority when you're not an authority. It's about, it's like, give them some slack. Give them some slack. Number three, remember that no ruler can overrule God. So I can absolutely submit to the authorities in my life, as long as they, of course, don't challenge me to break my Christian values. Of course not. But I can submit to the authority figures that I don't like, even when I don't agree with most of what they say, because I know that over their authority is God. So I, and, and he loves me. So even if my boss or my, you know, my principal or my administrator or manager, even if they hate me, I know over their authority is a God in heaven who loves me. And his love can circle around them and get to me. The Bible says in Proverbs 21, verse 1, the king's, hand, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. 
And, and he turns it wherever he will. This is, this is the scriptures teaching us how to see authority figures. Now, you say, I have a horrible boss, I have a horrible manager, I have a horrible this or whatever, or, or, whatever, or, or I don't like our president or whatever. I understand. But you have to read your Bible more. Because from Genesis to Revelation, God has given us picture after picture after picture after picture that no matter who sit on the throne of earth, God is on the throne of heaven using that person for his purposes. Romans chapter 9, verse 17. I'll give you a verse. Romans chapter 9, verse 17. The scripture says to Pharaoh, to Pharaoh, like could you imagine if Pharaoh had Twitter? If you think Donald Trump's are bad, just imagine if Pharaoh had Twitter. For this purpose I have raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Pharaoh, evil, wicked, God-hating Pharaoh was raised up so that God's purpose could prevail in his people. If you don't have Pharaoh, you don't get Moses. If you don't get Moses, you don't get the Red Sea. If you don't get the Red Sea, you don't have a visual illustration of what it's like to be baptized into Christ that all the enemies that were taunting you are now defeated through the blood of Jesus that washed over you and you're free indeed. Pharaoh served God's purpose. How about Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 9? Jeremiah 25, verse 9. I will send Nebuchadnezzar. This is God speaking. King of Babylon, not a Jew. Not a Christian. I will send him. He's my servant. God's saying, don't worry about, don't worry about what he believes. I'm using him for my purposes. And I will bring against this land and its inhabitants against all these surrounding nations. The king of Babylon comes in and exiles the people of God. Through, and this is God saying, I'm disciplining my people. I'll use, a, I'll use a pagan to do it if I have to. And ultimately, Nebuchadnezzar fulfills the purposes of God. John chapter 19, Jesus standing before Pilate. Gives us the mantra as Christians. You would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. Jesus said, I know who put you here. And you don't scare me. And, and I'm not going to sit here and just rail against you because I know my Father in heaven is over whatever authority you might be over me. What a, what a way to see your world, Christian. What a freeing way to see your existence. You are not the result of, of inhumane practices from those who have been above you and who have maybe uh, been wrong to you or unkind or unjust to you. No, you can still say, Lord God in heaven, I believe you are using anything that might come against me to do good things through me. What a way to see the world. So in this message, I want to talk about three areas of authority that we have to honor, governmental, employment, and household. The, again, we're not going to talk about parents. We're not going to talk about spiritual authority this week. So let's talk about area number one, governmental authority. Peter says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, that's your church, and then honor the emperor. Fear God and honor the emperor. And we have got to honor those who have been elected in this country, elected to public service. How do we honor them? Okay, A, in your notes, obey the law. <laughs> Very simple thing that we can do here. 
In Romans chapter 13, Peter, uh, Paul talking to the Romans, he says that rulers are not a terror for good conduct, but bad conduct. Would you have fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. He is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Okay, so listen, Christians. If you go 95 miles per hour and you get a speeding ticket, you are not suffering for Jesus. You are a lawbreaker and you need to pay the price. Obey the law. It will go well with you if you obey the law. Letter B, pray for your civil leaders. 1 Timothy chapter 2. First of all, in other words, this is the most important thing I want you to do. I want you to offer supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgiving for all people and for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful... In other words... Let's pray for them so that we can live in peace. Now, I am 100% confident that I'm talking to an audience today of people, you're either one of two people. You either hate this president or you hated the last one. Because you, you, can't, you can't get any more different than these two gentlemen. Really, you can't. And so... You know, you have your opinions and you have your, you know, whatever issues with whoever. But those scriptures are asking you, have you prayed for them? I, I know you don't like that position that they're holding. I understand that. Have you prayed for them? This is our job. So it's not our job to get on Facebook. And rip them to pieces like everybody else does because we're Christians. We're Christians. Someone showed me something just today about someone that put something on Facebook about some leader in our country. I'm like, what? They obviously didn't come to service. <laughs> this is why you need to come every week. And, and if you're on Facebook and you got people with other positions that you just really don't like, I get that. We're all opinionated. We're Americans. I get it. Delete them. Mute them. Block them. I don't know. Don't, how about erase Facebook? Hallelujah. <laughs> I don't like the fact that they're saying that. Why are you looking? <laughs> Do you expect everybody to agree with you all the time? It's impossible. Okay, so anyway, we, we, we pray and we say, Father, that man, that woman is in charge. By your directive, I believe you are over them. Their heart is in your hand. I pray you bless them and lead them and surround them with Christians and people who will speak wisdom into them so that they can govern and lead the organization, the society, the, the municipality with wisdom and grace. And that I might live in peace so that I can teach other people about Jesus. See, we can't teach people about Jesus in a war zone. It's impossible. Everybody's trying to just survive. 
We can preach peace only where, we can preach Christ where there's peace. One of the greatest gifts that the Roman Empire gave to the world was a period of 200 years of peace. It's called Pax Romana. Because of Pax Romana, the gospel spread like wildfire throughout the Roman government. In fact, um, throughout the Roman Empire. In fact, the Roman Empire also did something called uh, the system of roads, interconnected roads leading everywhere. That's where we get the phrase, all roads lead to Rome. And so we have roads and peace. Isn't it amazing how because of the peace, Christ was preached and spread like wildfire. And because of the roads provided by the government, Paul was able to go from city to city and start churches all throughout the empire. Like, like we should be praying for our government to succeed at peace so we can preach Jesus. Okay, literacy is going to be everybody's favorite point of the day. Pay taxes. <laughs> so we pay taxes to the one to whom taxes are due. Well, I think the government wastes a lot of money. So do you. What, are you suddenly like a budgeting aficionado? Suddenly, like you just, you've never wasted money? <laughs> but governments are human. They're going to waste money. You need to pray for them. If you don't really like how they're spending money, vote for somebody else. And I know you don't like paying taxes. I don't like paying taxes either, but guess what I do like? I like plowed roads in February. <laughs> how do you think that happens? Little, little fairy dust falls from the sky and plows suddenly magically appear? You pay for that. I like public schools. Uh, my wife and I call the school bus the golden chariot. It takes our child away for the day and it comes back and drops them off at the end of the day. I like that. <laughs> well, the public schools are teaching our kids things that aren't Christian. I understand that. Remember, they're trying to teach non-Christians too. So what we do with our kids is they learn what they get at school, and then we say, okay, now, let's, now we're going to show you what the scriptures teach because we're Christians. It's not complicated. You don't have to make a public issue about it. You don't have to make a huge Just, okay, that's what they say. I understand that they're not Christians. We're Christians. Here's what God says. It's so simple. And I pay taxes because, Jesus, because the Bible tells me to pay taxes. And I enjoy the benefits. Number two area, employees. I'm sorry, employers. Servants, be subject to your masters. Now, he's using servant-master language because in the ancient world, it was a slave-master relationship. It was a lot like today's employment. And it was nothing like chattel slavery of this country from two centuries ago. The two are so incompatible, I cannot tell you. That's for another message. But in the ancient world, you basically were a servant or a master. And today, you're either an employee or an employer. And it's almost the same. I will say that through Christian influence, employment, uh, you know, the environment of employment today is so much better by the grace of God. And thank you, Jesus, for that. But he says, look, if you are an employer, I mean, an employee, respect your boss. I feel like almost embarrassed that I have to say this today. But it's true. Listen to your employer. Do what they tell you to do. Don't give them a hard time. Show up early. Don't waste time. Hey, Christians, 
Your job is not to go to that place and yap about Jesus all day. Your job is to do productive work for the company all day. That's what they pay you to do. Well, I'm just, I'm just an evangelist. Be an evangelist on your own time. Okay? They've hired you to make sprockets or sprickets or whatever they're doing there at that company. You do that. <laughs> and I think that when you do that, you win them. So you got a bad boss. Okay, I get it. When they're bad to you, respond with good. Guess what? They're going to notice. Because when they respond, when they're bad to somebody who's not a Christian, they get bad back. But if they look at you and they're bad to you and you say, I'm going to honor you, I'm going to bless you in return for your evil toward me because I once was evil toward God and he gave me Jesus anyway. I'm going to respond good to you. They're going to pay attention. They will never pay attention if you act just like the world. This is your opportunity. You want to be a good witness? This is your opportunity. For everybody who says, I don't know how to witness because I don't know the Bible. Here's your opportunity. Show up early. Stay late. If you're at lunch is an hour, you take 55 minutes. You know what I'm saying? I mean, this is how you start making a, a, a name for Jesus in that, in that company. And you have to understand that being an employer is a hard deal. I mean, I'm an employer too. I'm a boss too. You know, employees, if you... If you're an employee, you get up, you go to work, you come home, you eat your dinner, you go to bed. If you're an employee, you got to worry about budgets and payroll and taxes and regulations and laws and codes. And, and you got to make sure that you, you're operating in the black. I mean, it's a whole heck of a, it's a whole nother animal. And I'm just telling you, employees, listen to me. If you're adding stress to your employer and he needs to cut some stress out, He's only got so many choices. He can't cut out payroll taxes and, and regulations and, and budgeting the, the, the balance sheets, he, uh, balancing the budget sheets. He can't cut that out. You might be the one he cuts out. It's like, this is like simple stuff, but it's so true. And it will go well with you. Okay, number three, spouses. So it's like almost American to be like anti-spouse today. The ball and chain. Like, that's like a cultural epitaph for one's spouse. Ball and chain was a prison term. What on earth are we doing? Paul, Peter says, likewise, wives, be sub subject to your own husbands. All right, ladies. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Find out what it means to he. <laughs> I, I want to let you know something about that song. It was not written by Aretha Franklin nor was it written for Aretha Franklin. It was written by a guy, a husband, named Otis Redding. He wrote that song to his wife. In the original lyrics, he says, you can have all my money. You can do what you want when I'm not at home. But when I get home, all I'm asking for is a little respect. L ladies, you need to listen that respect for your husband is like oxygen. You give him respect, you're going to get a better husband. You rob him of respect, you're going to get a worse husband. I'm telling you. He, he thrives on respect. 
Now, now you say, well, he's not worthy of respect. Don't you be waiting till he's worthy. You'll be waiting a long time. You, you've got to respect him when he's not worthy. You've got to respect him into respectability. This is what God calls you to. See, God doesn't ask you to wait for the conditions to be right for you to obey him. He asks you to obey him, and then he will make the conditions right. That's faith right there. So respect him and honor him, and I guarantee you'll get a better husband. There's, there's like four verses in the Proverbs that talk about a quarrelsome wife. Better to live on the corner of a roof than to live with a quarrelsome wife. Better to live in a desert than to live with a quarrelsome wife. Proverbs 22, verse 1, Proverbs 22, verse 9, for all the men who are jotting this down. Uh, better, <laughs> better. Like a, like a steady drip on a raining day is a wife who is quarrelsome with her husband. And, and some of you are ladies. I know you're saying, why isn't there any verses about quarrelsome husbands? Here's why. Because I think that the Bible is saying, wives, you have a sacred opportunity to shape the tone of your home. If you respect him, you're going to get respect back. If you don't respect him, you're going to get disrespect back. It's, it's amazing. The Bible has actually given women first dibs. Check it out. Every time the Bible talks about the home, it talks to the wife first. Go to Ephesians 5. Wives first, then husbands. Wives, do you understand the honorable position you've been given in your home? You can shape it. You can shape it. Don't wait for him. You can do it. And then he goes, I know. And then he goes, I know. Um, he says, he talks about, don't let your adorning be the braiding of your hair, gold jewelry, and so on and so forth. Okay, listen. Just want to touch on this and then we'll move on. He's not saying that makeup and jewelry is sinful. Read it again because he says, don't let your beauty, don't let your beauty come from that stuff. Let it come from your respect, respectful and quiet and submissive spirit. What he's saying is, ladies, it's more attractive to a man to have respect from you than to have beauty on the outside. From you. Isn't it amazing how our culture has it completely upside down? You got to have a hot body. You got to be fit and gorgeous and, and win the man. But they know how to win the man, but they don't know how to keep the man. And, they, and then the guy doesn't get any respect at home. And so he goes to the job and he gets all kinds of respect at the job. And that's why now the devil comes in and says, you see, this is who you really should be with. And I'm not making excuses for adultery. It's a complete sin against God. It's horrible and disgusting. But I can see sometimes how it can happen when a man gets only respect from people he works with rather than those he lives with. And so we have to see this opportunity. Wives to honor and respect husbands. Shape the tone of your home. And then he doesn't leave it there. He doesn't say, okay, now wives, that's it. Now, amen, close in prayer. No, he says, likewise, husbands now. Live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to them. <laughs> it's verses like this that have me convinced that the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Because a dude would never write this down. 
Like, I can just see Peter being like, wives, uh, husbands live with your wives in an understanding. Really, Holy Spirit? Understanding? You want me to try to understand my wife? I don't know if you want me to. Like, I'll just put it down. All right, the Holy Spirit instructs men to say, I need to enter into her world. I need to consider what she's going through. I need to think the way she's been thinking. <laughs> if you never felt like you needed the Holy Spirit, now you do. <laughs> now you do. And, and husbands, let me just say, if you're at work all day, she's at home with the kids all day, you understand you've had the vacation. That's 100% true right there. You come home, you help out, you do, so that she can take a break. And that's how we honor. And then he says, they are heirs with you of the grace of life. And they're with you, equal, in the eyes of God. See, the Bible is the original feminist manifesto. Modern-day feminists have corrupted it. The Bible was original pro-women. Anybody who tells you the Bible's anti-women has, has cherry-picked a few verses. And you can do that with any work of literature. The Bible is teaching us to see women as valuable and honorable in the eyes of God. Respect goes both ways. Number four and finally, remember that Jesus modeled submission for our salvation. And that's what he goes on and he talks about, you can read it there, that he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And listen, no one in this room has been mistreated by authority as much as Jesus was. No one. He takes it. He wins. No matter how you've been mistreated, Jesus wins in the mistreatment competition, if you will. Um, and I want you to see this now. We're circling back. Listen. Jesus submitted himself to his mother and father. He knew he was God's son, and he submitted himself to Mary and Joseph. Then he submitted himself to the timing of God for his miracles and work. Then he submitted himself to the religious leaders who put him on trial. Then he submitted himself to the pagan authorities who put him on that cross. And then he submitted himself to those Roman centurions and soldiers who nailed him to that cross. And I want you to see this. Don't miss it. We started this talk by talking about the fact that Satan went and tried to usurp authority to put us in this sin-soaked state. And Jesus did the opposite. He undid all the work of the devil by submitting himself to every authority and thereby purchased our salvation for eternity. We submit to authority because our great Savior submitted to authority 